everybody, welcome to Beyond the Board, the podcast that explores the themes and real-life inspirations behind tabletop games. I'm Mike. I'm Spencer. And on today's episode of Beyond the Board, we're discussing the game Seven Wonders Duel. That's right. Not it, not Seven Wonders, but Seven Wonders Duel. Yeah, two games. Duel is a sort of simplified version of Seven Wonders, the much larger scale board game. Yes, which I haven't played Seven Wonders. No, I haven't either. I've only played Duel. Uh, but I really, really like Duel. Yes. it uh, It's an engine-building card game, and what that means is you're basically, like, creating a... Well, in this one, you're creating a society and a city that creates resources itself over time, and it gets bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger uh, to help you throughout the game. Yeah, and it's specifically a duel. It's a two-player card game, too. Mm-hmm. So it's designed to be against two players, and who can build the biggest, baddest, coolest city as or civilization as fast as possible and you can win from a number of different scenarios be it points or science or military those should start to sound familiar if you've ever played any of the civilization games on the computer it's it'll have a very similar feel to uh, to that if, yeah if, as a sort of touchstone yeah so in this game you're creating your city and and your civilization and as you're building it up you can get special buildings that do really nice stuff and those buildings and or structures are the seven ancient wonders of the world uh, not including Michael Jordan he's all he saw seven on his I think own it was the eighth wonder of the world is what they always said I'd the call 90s. him that at the very least <laughs> but no specifically you're right these are the ancient wonders because uh, you might think you have an idea of what some of the the wonders of the world are but they're probably much more modern than a lot of these things that we're going to talk about today so we're gonna yeah we're gonna run through the the seven wonders and first of all we should start off with why seven why is there this list in the first place why is there some sort of agreed upon number of these things where did all of this even come from so first the number seven was chosen because Greeks believed it represented perfection and plenty and because it was also, Uh, the number of the planets known, including the sun and the moon at the time. Uh, And it was uh, created kind of like as a travel package for the Greeks. So it was uh, uh, either created by Philo of Byzantium or Dodorius Siculus. So there's, I guess, two different... It's hard to figure out which one of them came out with the list first. Mm. So, And it was all sort of happening at the same time. And why these Greeks were doing it in the first place is because... Well, they conquered a lot. The, the the ancient Greek empire expanded across a lot of what was known as the Western world. They knew their way around. They did. And the Greeks, as a relatively, uh, as a society that pushed for intellectualism or experiences and things like that, actually thought it was important for the citizens to travel the empire, travel the world, the known world, and see what was out there. And the Greeks pretty much had control of the Mediterranean area and large portions of the Middle East. So these wonders that we're going to talk about pretty much entirely come from that region and were all either in territory that was under Greek control or was directly created by the Greeks themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's seven wonders. When it was originally created, it was only six. And one was added uh, later on, um, and that was the Colossus of Rhodes, but we'll get to that. Do we want to go over real quick the list of all seven, just so we get an idea of what we're getting ourselves into? Sure, yeah. Okay, so in order, uh, I think this is the order of actually when they were created, too. I think so. I hope yeah. I hope yeah. that's how we've, we've sorted this right <laughs> now, but is. we'll see. So number one, and we'll get into each one of these, but number ones are, uh, number one is the Great Pyramid of Giza. Number two, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. 
Uh, number three is the Temple of Artemis at Ephesus. And then number four is the Statue of Zeus at Olympia. Uh, number five is the Mausoleum of Hilcarnassus. And I then I said that right. Yes. And then we've got the Lighthouse of Alexandria. And the Colossus of Rhodes. That's right. Uh, roughly in that order. We'll, we'll go into the details for all of them in approximately when they were created. And then you'll see a pattern when they were destroyed. I know we got number one right. Number one <laughs> is definitely the oldest. Right. We can be confident in that. So let's, let's dive into the Pyramid of Giza then. Okay, so the Pyramid of Giza, Giza, the oldest wonder, and the only one still around today. You might have seen the pyramids in pictures with the Sphinx, and like it's a fairly recognizable symbol, um, but they didn't always look like that. They were built between 2584 and 2561 BCE. The Great Pyramid, the big one of Giza, was built as the resting place for Pharaoh Khufu. Yeah, and so there's the big pyramid, the Great Pyramid itself, and it's part of a, a complex. There's actually a number of smaller buildings in the area, including smaller pyramids. And these were to house Khufu's wives, some family members. There were some temples and various other tombs. You have one but for his dog? <laughs> probably. Cat. <laughs> there, yeah, cat, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's the Great Pyramid, the big one. That's the one that is attracting all the attention. And... It's hard, I mean, if you see it today, and it's it's incredible to think how could something like that be built, and you now have to even go put yourself in, in all the way back then, and it actually looked pretty different at the time. Yeah, actually, it used to be covered in a smooth uh, shell of limestone all around it, so it had this really smooth, beautiful look of limestone. But unfortunately, they eventually had to take all of that off when an earthquake actually leveled Cairo, and they needed to rebuild. So they took all the limestone off, and they rebuilt Cairo. It's it's like a, a modern, well, not a modern, but an ancient <laughs> wonder of architecture on its own. The fact that it was built and the fact that it's still standing today uh, it is that beauty, that limestone that you were talking about. That's what attracted the Greeks. They certainly didn't create this, but they those Greeks who did visit this area couldn't help but be amazed at this thing. So it absolutely made it on the list. Interesting fact about it's weird because if you go and you look at the pyramids, you always imagine them in the desert and you're like, oh, gosh, it must take so so long to get here. But it's like right outside of Cairo. Mm. If you look at a picture the city's there and the pyramids are just on the outskirts. So there's actually a lot of pictures online to where there's a pizza hut inside <laughs> Cairo that you can take a picture from inside the pizza hut and line up the hat of the pizza hut and put it right on the top of the pyramid. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And like, I, th I thought it was fake at first, but I realized that no, the city is that close. And it's that's why they were there. able to strip it uh, of the limestone so easily. So uh, we got seven wonders to get through. So we're going we're gonna to chug on through to the next one. Our, our next one would be the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Yeah, and this one is probably the trickiest one to talk about compared to the rest of them, purely because there's actually no archaeological evidence that this ever even existed. There's not even necessarily Babylonian texts that talk about this thing existing. It's Greek text. It's outsiders who wrote about this amazing, beautiful, multi-tiered oasis in a very dry, arid area that was just lush with greenery and irrigation and fountains and waterfalls, and we can't find it. It almost makes me wonder if they were putting together their little travel list and then was like, we'll keep one that, like, 
isn't really there, so it's so they're always looking for more deals. Just keep keep the tourists coming. <laughs> if it did exist, or at least the way that it was written, mm-hmm. it was built by King Nebuchadnezzar II, and he built it for his wife because she was from an area in which there was actually greenery in, in, in a mountainous region, and so she missed having that around. And so, uh, as the legend goes, he built this absolutely incredible garden so that his wife would feel like she was at home and it was this like the idea and the descriptions that they were talking about was this multi-tiered lush garden and and if you google it you're going to see a bunch of different versions of it because like you were saying there's no actual text describing it because people might have never seen it because it might not have been there uh now there was a king uh I think so. Something like that. Yeah, King Sennacherib, he was the king of Assyria. He did have a beautiful garden. And they might have thought that this was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon because they had a similar description. Uh, he reigned a little bit before Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and it's it's possible that this was the garden that they were talking about. If it did exist, uh, <laughs> what would have destroyed it was an earthquake. And and still they haven't found evidence of it still existing so it's it's still kind of a toss up it's interesting yeah it is this this sort of white whale of the wonders of did it actually exist and we know that there was one somewhere kind of in a similar area but a little bit before the greeks were talking about it and so yeah we we just we don't know right now but it's a, it's a fascinating concept of having this beautiful lush oasis in the middle of the desert effectively Yeah, so since that one might not exist, we'll move on to number three, the Temple of Artemis at Ephesus. And the first version of this temple was built before 700 AD, but it wasn't one of the wonders beforehand. Yeah, it was just kind of okay, that first version. Yeah, and it was actually destroyed a couple times. Yes. (laughs) So they had to keep rebuilding it. And as the name implies, it is the temple for the Greek goddess Artemis. Um, And she's associated with wildlife, hunting, childbirth. My wife actually has a women's trio called Artemisia. You should check them out. They're pretty cool. Uh, But it's named after Artemis. Well, that name is going to come up a little bit later, too. It sure will. We'll talk about that. (laughs) So it was built in the Ephesus, which is now in modern-day Turkey. And around 700 BCE, the temple was first destroyed by the flooding that we were talking about. And then they began to rebuild it around 550. And the first temple was supposedly made of marble and had these columns all the way around like a big rectangle. Yeah, this is one that actually we've recreated some some blueprints with some relatively confident accuracy of what this temple... And this is the second building that is the most magnificent version of it. This is the one that truly made it one of the wonders. It was... And... It's not only that the temple itself was was incredible, but like you were saying, this is a place to worship Artemis, and the worshippers of Artemis at Ephesus, and especially at this temple, had a reputation, almost like cult-like repu- uh, reputation of how they worshipped Artemis. And the, the Artemis that was worshipped there might have been a little bit different than others, so I think that kind of added to the allure of this location and drew people in. And this one eventually was destroyed by a fire, not an earthquake, like so many of these ancient wonders are destroyed by. But yeah, it was was by a guy who, was he a Christian? No, this guy was just crazy. He was an arsonist. (laughs) He was an arsonist who wanted to be famous forever by burning something incredibly perfect and beautiful. So he 
he saw, well, here's a perfect opportunity. I'm going to burn this incredible temple to the ground. Yeah, but we're not going to say his name because we don't think he deserves that. Nor do the Greeks. <laughs> they specifically, they sentenced him to death and then forbade anybody to say his name. You couldn't even write it down. I think you would be killed if you wrote it down. Yeah, it wasn't until later that some historians started writing it down anyway because they were like, I get it. You're right. He was a bad guy. But we should, for posterity's sake, have this on record somewhere. Yeah, somebody needs to know. But we're going to follow the rules and not say his name here. Uh, uh, so the, oh, there's also a legend that goes, the day the Temple of Artemis burned down was the day that Alexander the Great was born. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Interesting coincidences. Interesting. They did build I think it that again. Was a legend. Yeah, <laughs> they did build it again, uh-huh. uh, but it, it wasn't quite as as wonderful as it was before. And you know, it still had visitors, it still had worshippers, but eventually that that third final version was destroyed by some of the Germanic tribes the from Goths, the north. I yeah, think, yeah, the Goths, and then hey, whatever. I don't like your temple. <laughs> whatever was left over uh, was properly shut down by the Christians, who had kind of. Uh, by the 5th century A.D. had had control of the region and said, nope, no more this this pagan stuff. Yeah, and they, they, put a, they stuck a fork in that one at the very end. Yeah, and that will now become a running theme in some of the other things we talk about as we segue into the statue of Zeus at Olympia. And Mike, this thing was massive. This was huge. 40, like four stories tall. Like yeah. 43 feet tall. It was... Obviously, the temple of the big man himself, Zeus, and it was all about this giant statue. It was actually wood on the inside. Mm. It was like a wood base, and then on the outside, it was covered in ivory, gold, ebony, glass, and precious stones. It was just this giant thing. The statue that they made was holding another statue, just to give you an idea how big this thing is. Yeah, you should look up pictures, because it's Zeus sitting in a throne, too, and so it was both criticized and like in awe of how big it was, because if the, if the statue were to stand up, he would just go flying through the roof sort of thing. In terms of proportion, yeah, in terms <laughs> of proportion of the temple, way oversized, but as a result, I mean, it's perfect for this location, Olympia, where the Olympic Games were taking place. I mean, this, so Olympia is where the Olympic, the ancient Olympic Games took place, and these games were meant to show off Zeus, and to to kind of as a sort of form of worship for Zeus, and so why not have it there? And they they brought in an incredibly famous sculptor of the time, uh, Phidias, and he had worked on the Parthenon and then the the huge statue of Athena that is in the Parthenon. And so it only made sense to bring this guy out for Zeus. Don't you think he kind of like cut the corners, putting like the entire middle of it made of wood? So I, I saw that. And that happened with things like the Colossus of Rhodes, too, where they... I, this is not what I expected for a lot of these statues, where they're actually semi-hollow or they're made out of like a frame. And then uh, it gets like plates of material on the outside. Yeah. And then... Sometimes that that shell is essentially filled with like rocks to yeah. keep it in place. So it's interesting. I mean, you compare it to more modern sculptures where it's an entirely complete set of stone, like the Statue of David. I'm fairly certain isn't hollow inside it. Yeah. Uh, but I think we have to consider the this the size, the scale of this thing. Yeah. I guess. I mean, like <laughs> that is that is one thing. I guess it'd be really expensive to just do a solid. Thing. But I, I guess if you're trying, 
I guess it just depends on how long you want it to last, really. Right. You'd be like, oh, we'll fill it later with something. Yeah. And so not only was that surprising, but it was surprising to see that they coated this thing in olive oil yeah. all the time to protect it. Uh, this was actually to kind of like protect the wear and tear of it so that the material wouldn't sort of dull with time. And so you've got this thing lathered up in olive oil. Inevitably, that's going to drip to the ground. So it all goes into a pool, which creates like a reflecting pool that makes the, the, the statue look even bigger and more impressive. It was very <laughs> clever. If they knew there was going to be olive oil all over the place, you might as well put it with a purpose. Mm-hmm. And you could also slide in and see Zeus quicker. Yeah, exactly. Take a you run, can, running you could be leap. first of the line <laughs> to, flop, to give your offering. Slide right in. Yep. Uh, so eventually, it was destroyed, like most of these things. Uh, there's a couple different accounts of how it could have been destroyed. One, the emperor Thaddeus called for an end to the pagan temple and practices. This is after Christianity became adopted in the Roman Empire, and so the temple fell into disuse and eventually was destroyed. And the other one, oh, this is also why the Olympic Games stopped. Yeah, exactly. There was a long period of time where they were not practiced, which is why you might be confused when you look at, like, what version of the Olympic Games we're on right now. Like, the math doesn't check out if you think of it, like, it connects back to ancient times. But, nope, there was a big old stop order put on that. Yeah, I think the X Games, though, are older than the Olympic Games. That's important. <laughs> it's very important. So uh, another another version would be the statue was taken to Constantinople and then eventually destroyed by a fire. Uh, or was destroyed in the fire that brought down the Temple of Zeus in 425 AD. Either way, fire and ruin brought to this particular place. Yeah. And I guess if it's covered in olive oil, <laughs> it's going to It probably smelled pretty good. Yeah, delicious. <laughs> so we got three more yes. that we're going to do, but I think we should take a break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the mausoleum of Helicarnassus. Wonderful. Oh, I see what you did there. Hello, all you wonderful listeners out there in podcast land. Mike here. If you didn't know, Spencer and I actually make games as well. If you go to whizbotgames.com, you can check out what games we have available. Uh, Right now, we have two completely free role-playing games for download. They're really easy rules-light systems, and you should check them out. Once again, that's whizbotgames.com. Like a wizard robot. You'll see the logo. back hey you stole the words right out of my mouth Yoink. all right so we'll just keep moving right along we got number five the mausoleum of helicarnassus and this is uh actually where the term mausoleum came from mm-hmm. which is interesting but it's also called the tomb of mausoleus 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 thank you or a persian satrap that's a essentially like a governor of a large region of oh. Persia at the time. So this is a government, a very powerful government official named Mausolus that decided, well, first of all, I'm going to have a really cool city alongside my wife, and then inevitably I'm going to cool die. Wife, cool city, cool I'm, grave. Exactly. <laughs> I need to have the cool, cool grave. Um, so around 353 BC, the commissioning of this this huge, huge tomb began, and it would take years for it to ultimately be completed mm-hmm. he he was he died obviously before it started or before it finished 
But actually, after he died, his wife, Artemisia, mm-hmm. uh, she decided to make it even bigger mm-hmm. because she thought he was this wonderful, wonderful man. Um, I think we also forgot to mention that Artemisia was also his sister. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. For, for, that's important to note. Yeah, so this sister loved her uh, husband slash brother so much that she wanted to make it even bigger. Uh, and so this this caused her to go and get the finest sculptors in all the land to come and work on this thing. But that also meant the time got longer and she died also before it got finished as well. Yeah. Eventually she, her her remains, her ashes were, were put into the tomb. And the, the final product of it was 148 feet tall when construction was actually... That's bigger than it, Zeus. It is much bigger than Zeus. And like you said, yeah, Artemisia actually, she called for Greece's greatest artists to come and adorn the tomb and, and, and truly make it as great as it could be. And so... A portion of the tomb on each side has a relief that has a different sort of depiction of various stories or characters that has been devoted to and created by a different artist, Mm -hmm. um, including Scopus, who was the guy, one of the people responsible for that second rebuilding of the Temple of Artemis, one of the guys that was responsible for making it truly wonderful and wondrous. It's, I always, like, everything's connected, I feel like, in these ancient wonders. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, you have one person who's in charge of rebuilding something else, and then you have another person who, like, invaded some other place. And it it was really interesting reading about these and realizing how connected they all were. Yeah, absolutely. And considering the scope of the Greek influence, the, mm-hmm. the like Hellenic Empire and everything, there's a lot of overlap in in personnel use. Yeah. So this thing is 148 feet tall, but it's not like the Washington Monument to where it just it's like straight up. It's got three parts. Uh, there's a lower part that's got a big old stairway leading into the tomb, and it's got statues of lions and warriors and tigers and bears, oh my, and other mystical beasts. <laughs> uh, and then there's a middle portion uh, that are the four walls that have the reliefs, like you were saying. And then the last part is a pyramid, um, which just have these massive, it has this massive like chariot on the top that has Mausoleus and Artemisia being pulled by four horses, I think. I don't, yeah, I don't remember the details, but yeah, they're in. They themselves are taking off in this chariot on the tomb uh, in which they're buried. Neat fact about this was the the artists and the sculptors could have just stopped after Artemisia was dead, but they wanted to create something that would last for a very long time. So they also continued and and eventually created this thing. Uh, however. <laughs> Eventually, all which all, what, how do you think this one was destroyed, yeah. Mike? Fire or earthquake? Right. Uh, probably an earthquake, because yeah, this one's definitely uh, destroyed by an earthquake. Uh, but it lasted for a long time. It wasn't until the 14th century, uh, and so this was actually the longest standing of ancient the wonder de- of the destroyed ones. Of the, yeah, because we one... still got the pyramid, yeah. <laughs> but of the six that were destroyed, this one made it. The, Pyramid's the old long... hat. That one, old Pizza Hut hat. That one's invincible, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> But yeah, you're right. This is the one that lasted the longest. And yeah, it gets ravaged by earthquakes and and wear and tear of time. And eventually uh, an organization known as the Knights of St. John invaded this region and they used the stones from the tomb to reinforce the castle that they built in the area. A lot of repurposing going on with these destroyed... Yeah, it's. I mean, it's practical at the time, especially a lot of the repurposing is for the use of fortresses or military purposes. Mm. Uh, so 
It only makes sense. We'll see that again in this very next wonder, in fact. The Colossus of Rhodes. Not one of the originals, but not the seventh. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this one, uh, if you compare it to the other ones, didn't really last very long. How many years did it last? It only lasted like... 50-some-odd years, I believe, something along those lines. But we'll get to that. We will. <laughs> Remember how we talked about how massive the Statue of Zeus is? Yeah. Well, get ready to get outdone here with the Colossus of Rhodes. This is, and you, you've probably seen pictures of this thing, and probably the pictures that you've seen are inaccurate in what it actually looked like. It's like a giant man guarding the city, but his legs are straddling the... The harbor. The harbor. Yeah. yeah. Just don't look up. <laughs> <laughs> Rhodes, Rhodes is built along a harbor, and so, yeah, the the medieval and the European depictions of this thing is that they had a colossal statue that, like you said, straddled the harbor, welcoming in boats, but... <laughs> also get, deterring away any invaders. It would be terrifying. Like, we have a giant mecha man. <laughs> but, it, I mean, so it would, here's the important thing. It didn't straddle the harbor. Yes. But it was huge, and it was right there at the harbor. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine, it's it's easy enough for us to imagine, a tall statue, a massive statue at a harbor. How tall was it? Well, this particular statue, if I remember correct, by looking at my notes, is 108 feet tall, That's... more than two Zeuses, <laughs> two and a half Zeuses. He's as, bigger than Zeus! As we, as we measure things. Yeah, so... Oh, no, just to give you a point of reference, that's approximately the same size as the Statue of Liberty, our giant statue that we have in a harbor right now. So to give you a sense of, of scope and size of this thing, imagine Statue of Liberty but thousands of years ago. Yeah, and there was also thought that he might have actually been holding a torch that they lit, very akin mm-hmm. to the Statue of Liberty. And but, I think a sword, or a, he had some sort of weapon. Yeah, this 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 person that we're talking about, the Colossus, is Helios. Helios is the Greek god of the sun. That that was kind of the sort of patron deity of Rhodes. And Rhodes basically built this as a massive celebration because they they fought back an invading force thanks to some thanks to some help from Egypt. And you were talking about earlier the repurposing of materials. Basically, they took all the weapons and siege materials that the invading force had left behind, sold them. And then kind of use them as the materials to build this statue. So, you know, you break down the siege material and use it to make scaffolding. You melt down all the bronze and use that to make the plates that would surround, again, a hollow frame of a statue that would then get filled with rocks to keep it in place. I think they used, like, stone pillars inside to Mm -hmm. keep it up. But you're right. Once again, a hollow thing. That being said... (laughs) Uh, it lasted for about 56 years, which we mentioned before, but ultimately a earthquake took it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even after the earthquake, it still laid there for 800 years, and well, mainly because it was really hard to move something, but it also became another tourist attraction. Right. And people still wanted to come see it. They actually would, people, like tourists would come, and you never really think, of, this is also the other thing, is it's weird thinking about tourism in ancient Greek times. Totally. And these tourists would come, and they would try to see 
if they could put, hug the thumb oh. of <laughs> of uh, the Colossus of Rhodes. Like, oh, can I put my arms around it? Right. Except they just wouldn't take pictures because they didn't have that then. Well, yeah, and I also remember seeing that people would talk about how the scale of these, just the fingers alone, the thumb like you were talking about, is as big as a lot of the statues that they were used to seeing back at home. So, I mean, just the hand of this thing is massive and than to see the entire thing laid out on the ground because, yeah, it fell onto the land, not into the water. So, and that's kind of a another reason why it wouldn't have been straddling the harbor because it would have taken a while to, they would have had to shut off the harbor to build the thing in the first place. And if it collapsed while, you know, ushering in the gateway of the harbor, well, there goes Rhodes' entire ability to connect to the water. And that would be pretty devastating for any kind of city. But it looks really cool. It does. it does. Like if it's straddling the harbor. It, it is. It's a yeah. very fun idea. But yeah, it, it laid there, like you said, for a long time, 800 years, and then eventually they had to get rid of it. Yeah, uh, they actually got rid of it. And so the story goes that a Jewish merchant came and it was all melted down and it was carried away by 900 camels. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what it would take. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's very specific on the number of camels, but no name is given to the Jewish merchant that bought this particular <laughs> giant amount of bronze. They named some of the camels, though. It's important. But was it 900 camels, do you think? Or do you think it was like 100 camels taking nine trips? Ooh, I don't know. Or like 10 camels taking... No, nine. no, don't do math on the podcast. <laughs> I can't like, do it's math. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> so we've done six ancient wonders. That's right. Last one we have would be the Lighthouse of Alexandria. I like this one a lot. It's it's really cool to me. Yeah. And Alexander the Great. Alexandria. Thinking of Alexander the Great. He was born mm-hmm. when the Temple of Artemis was destroyed. It's all It's, it's all connected. connected. Absolutely. So it was constructed after Alexander the Great uh, established the city of Alexandria in Egypt. And during the 3rd century BCE, after his death... Uh, Ptolemy. Ptolemy, thank you. I can't, that P is silent. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Ptolemy III commissioned the construction of the lighthouse uh, on the island of Pharos, across the Nile from Alexandria. And the construction lasted approximately 12 years. And this is another massive structure, this, this amazingly tall lighthouse. Yeah, and we're pretty confident, actually, in the height that was reported because uh, a number of... Uh, Arabic explorers and travelers and mathematicians and scientists who would repeatedly visit this area were pretty consistent in their estimations of it. So it's sitting somewhere between 330 and 390 feet tall. Just massive by comparison. That's, that's three Colossuses of Rhodes. That's six Zeuses. <laughs> At least six. More. It's like eight plus Zeuses. Oh that's so many Zeuses. And it stood upon this massive square base. And in, in kind of like we were talking about earlier with the, the tomb, this was a multi-tiered structure. And the, it was the, 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 at the very top is where the lighthouse portion of it was. It almost looked like a fortress in the, the depictions. And they were all totally. pretty much the same, all the different depictions of what the lighthouse looked like. So I'm pretty sure they got a, a fairly accurate description of it. Yeah, so you've got a large square bottom tier, and then it... You've got a large square bottom. Oh, Mike, I've been working on that. (laughs) And then above it, the middle tier is octagonal, and then at the very top is a circular tier, and that's where the lighthouse actually was. And this lighthouse was going all day, day and night. It functioned as a lighthouse. And you might be wondering, how does a lighthouse work at 
like during the day. It, how how can anybody see it? Well, I mean, I could tell you that. Well, go for it. <laughs> so they uh, they had this giant mirror, and uh, it, they probably thought it was more like polished bronze mm. opposed to like an actual mirror when you think of a mirror. And they would reflect the sun onto this disc, and that's how you could see this light from I think up to thirty miles away. Yeah, something is like what that. they were reported. Uh, I think somewhere I read also it was somebody said a hundred miles away, but I don't think that's Seems entirely accurate. Improbable. <laughs> uh, and then at night a fire would be lit, and it would actually be brought up in the middle of the lighthouse by a system of like pulleys and dumbwaiters that would, because it was so tall, right? They couldn't just walk, walk it a up. Torch up there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's how they kept it lit at night. It's actually interesting why, I mean, so they built it there because it's across from Alexandria and that's really important, but apparently the island of Pharos was notorious for having, like, the, the citizens, the civilians of the area were what were called wreckers, meaning they would raid smashed ships along Pharos and in that in that region. They'd use that as a means of getting materials and everything like that, and so they're like, all right, we got to put a, a stop to this. So we're going to put a giant shiny disc on top of your island to stop that from happening. Oh, oh that's a bunch of jerks. <laughs> yeah. So this was this was a, a big middle finger to that whole area and, and that particular <laughs> Almost practice. Almost a quite literal middle finger. Yes. <laughs> so this one lasted for about 400 years and yeah. eventually was destroyed by an earthquake. Yep. Uh, and then it was finally removed in 1480, uh, and its remains were used, once again repurposed, uh, to build a fortress by the Sultan of Egypt. So once again, we're repurposing ancient wonders, uh, and that would be the end of our ancient wonder list. Yeah, that's the, the by and large, agreed-upon list of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There, You might find some slight deviations, but that's pretty much the agreed-upon list, uh, the, based off of consistency across the numerous Greek travelers who said, oh, yeah, you got to check this out. Mm -hmm. And Michael Jordan. He's pretty cool. Yeah, that's the assumed number eight. (laughs) He's been around for some time. Well, if you don't got anything else, that's all I got. I don't got anything else. Thank you guys for listening to Beyond the Board. If you guys have any questions, comments, uh, or just want to shoot us a line, you can find us at beyondtheboardpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at GoingBTV. You can also find us on Instagram at WizBotGames. Uh, and if you liked us, go ahead and hit that subscribe button um, and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you there. You can also find us on our home on the web at www.WizBotGames.com. This podcast has been produced in association with the Nerdalogs. To find out more about the Nerdalogs and their shows, visit www.nerdalogs.com or facebook.com slash nerdalogs. Thanks for listening.